0: everybody to take one or as many as you want kernels of corn i just want you to take these kernels of corn hold it in your hand the series is entitled conformed to his image this is the second second lesson hope you all enjoyed last sunday's lesson we talked about what it means to be in christ and even get that established before we deal with this transforming of our soul but today we're going to talk about the release of the spirit The release of the Spirit. And uh, this is critical if we're ever going to learn to be true ministers of Christ, if we're going to learn how to let His love pour out of us, uh, let the Holy Spirit pour out of us and change other people. I've had a blast studying this. Most of my content came from a book by Watchman Nee entitled The Release of the Spirit. Many, many years ago, great Chinese missionary. Y'all by got that corn handed out there? All right. Praise the Lord. Here's the verse, our text. John 12, 24 and 25. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. So Jesus is talking about a corn of wheat, which means a kernel of wheat. And I'm just going to, we got a kernel of corn. It's the same principle. The only way that little kernel of corn is ever going to be a great stalk with many ears and hundreds and hundreds of corns on each of the cobs is for that little kernel to to go into the ground and die and be broken. It's got to be broken. That outer shell of that kernel has to be broken in order for the life in the middle of the corn to ever grow. And uh, it works the same way with us. This is Jesus' analogy. He told his disciples this, except a kernel of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. In other words, you can leave that kernel of corn in your kitchen window for the rest of its life, and it will always be a kernel of corn. But if you want to plant it in the ground and let it you know, get deep below the earth in humility... And, and all that takes place when that, when that happens, that, that outer shell starts breaking. It's mir- miraculous actually the way God grows things. That outer shell will break and then a root will go down and then a, a little blade will come up and stick its head above the earth. And if you get the right sunshine and moisture, it will grow into a great thing. So this is our life. I want you all to look at this. There's an outer shell called our soul that has to be broken in order for the life or the spirit to come out of us. Last week we, we hit this, God loves you just the way you are. That's not in question. How many of y'all were good this week? How many of y'all were bad this week? Huh? It didn't change the way he loves you either way. I mean, he loves you, he loves you, he loves you just the way you are. So get that settled in your mind. But he refuses to leave you that way. Because he wants you to be like Jesus. His ultimate intention for our lives is that we would be conformed to the image of the Son of God. Two problems I see with this. One is most Christians don't want to change. And two, you can't change human nature. So it's a very difficult thing. First you've got to want to change. Then you've got to realize you can't change yourself. Only God can change you. So these are two big hurdles we've got to get over. We learned last week a pig's a pig. A pig's a pig. I mean you can try to make them in... Dress him up, clean him up, perfume, pig, pig silk pajamas, bring him in the house. But he's still a pig. He's always going to act like a pig. He's always going to go and wallow in the muck and the mire. So human nature is human nature. You can educate it, you can refine it, you can teach it manners. You can do all kinds of things with it, but human nature is still human nature. Like a pig's a pig. So, so desperately we need to be changed, but we can't change ourselves. Any more than you can take a pig and turn him into a sheep. You know, you just can't change a pig. I know some of y'all got pigs as pets. Little port, port, pot pigs. It's a bad idea. You'll go buy a dog. <laughs> Sin crouching at the door. This is, God told Cain this in the fourth chapter of Genesis. When you start looking at the earliest communications known, you know, after Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden, Here he had a conversation with Cain. He said, if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. So every Christian has this issue of sin. We've all got to deal with this issue of sin in our life. But sin comes from our souls. That's where it's generated. That's where the choice is made. That's that's where our feelings are, our thoughts are. Sin originates in our souls. Our minds think the thoughts, our emotions create the feelings, and our will makes a choice. And this is your soul, actually, that is what houses your mind, your emotions, and your will. I know some of y'all think you got a better revelation than that, but you really don't. I'll uh, I'll share, I'm going to share it deeper with you. Sins like a tiger crouching behind the door. It's something you just don't be casual about. This is, it could be a big thing in your life. If you allow this thing just to lie there dormant, you don't think it's going to hurt anybody. Well, it it could kill you one day, it can control you one day. A small thing can grow and grow and grow to a big thing. Uh, One, a couple bad deeds can turn into some very bad habits. And uh, sin can control your life and destroy your life. Just look at the world and all the millions of stories of how they started in sin and it got worse and worse and worse till it just absolutely ruined their life. It, it crouches like a tiger. It's something we've got to be aware of. The Apostle Paul had a sin problem. Paul is perhaps the greatest man to ever live after Jesus Christ. He was absolutely phenomenal. Most of our New Testament comes from his writings. But he stated in Romans 7... I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. We all have a sin problem. I told you last week, just try to do the golden rule for a day. Take it a step further. Try to take the Sermon on the Mount. Do that for a day. Just obey everything Jesus said in that Sermon on the Mount. Now, if you're honest with yourself, you're going to realize how you miss that mark oftentimes. Some people are so self-righteous, they actually think they're not sinning at all. They're just going around pleasing God 100% of the time. My Bible says in 1 John, that, that man is a liar. You know, if you you've not sin. It's really just blindness. You just don't see yourself. We all sin. No sin is so large that God can't forgive it. But no sin is so small that it doesn't need forgiving. Now this is the thing you got to start thinking about. We think these little sins don't really matter. Well, God wants all that cleaned up. It destroys your communication with God. This is not biblical, but it's an analogy. It'd be like having a big PVC pipe between God and you. A pipe. And God's speaking through the pipe. But the more you allow all these little sins just to hang around in your soul... It starts clogging the pipe. God's trying to talk to him. you. Just can't make, you can't hear him anymore. Well, the, the pipe's clogged up, all right? Confess your sins. Just come clean. Go to the altar. If you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You can get your pipe cleaned out every day of your life. I walk under a constant fountain of the blood and the grace of Jesus Christ. That's how I stay clean. So uh, do you see your sins? Are you comparing yourself with others? Because if you compare yourself with the people in the jail, you're going to feel pretty righteous. Or compare yourself with the people in the bar room last night. Even you might compare yourself with people in church. Stop that. The Bible says don't compare yourself one with another. Look into the Word of God. Look into the mirror of God's Word. Let Him show you what you are. Are you comfortable with the amount of ungodliness in your life? Are you willing to take a true look at yourself? And bigger, are you willing to start praying, Lord, change me. Even if it hurts me, change me. Make me a vessel. Make me an offering. You know, I came here with nothing, but all you have given me, Lord, you know, bring out of me (laughs) new wine. I I want to... I'm totally bought in at this point change me lord jesus change me whatever you got to do to change me i want your will for my life i want to be what you've created me to be i want to accomplish what you died that i might accomplish so we've got to be transformed we looked at these scriptures last week i'm not gonna expand on them romans 8 29 for whom he did foreknow he also did predestine predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, many brethren being me and you. He wants sons and daughters conformed to the image of Christ. 2 Corinthians 3, 18, And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And then Romans 12, 2, Don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. So God's in the business of transforming us. Our souls are in what is need of transforming, not our spirits. Our deepest identity in our spirits has been transformed. That happened the day you got born again. But our redemption is not yet complete. Our souls still need transforming. We are all called to the task to allow God to gradually conform our souls to the righteousness and holiness that was created in our spirits the moment we got saved. Some people think I'm deviating from what I've been teaching at return. This is in our articles of faith. It's been printed for a long time now. I'm going to read you a paragraph out of it. All believers have a carnal soul with a lifetime of bad memories and habits. So the soul needs to undergo a process called progressive sanctification for the rest of our lives. Progressive sanctification and spiritual growth are the ongoing process of yielding to God's Word and His Spirit to complete the development of Christ's character in us. Man cannot possibly sanctify himself or make his own soul holy. This is a work of God's grace in the believer's life appropriated by faith after salvation. That's right there in our articles of faith. You can read that. This is just a part of Christianity that people don't like because when you have to start dealing with sin, it gets messy. If we just talk about who we are in Christ all the time, you know, we can say so excited and pumped up about that. But the truth is, if you really know who you are in Christ, then you can deal with sin and not be offended by it. Let's just have a conversation about it. Ask your best friend, tell me what's wrong with me. What do you see in me that's not like Christ. If maybe a friend to say, say that to me, now don't go say that to somebody unless they want it, all right? <laughs> Most people can't take that because they don't know who they are in Christ. But if you get to know who you are in Jesus Christ, blood, well, you can deal and talk about your sin. You can get, get rid of it finally. Now, here's an image we need to keep in our mind. This is body, soul, and spirit. Man's a trichotomy. Man's a three part being. First Thessalonians 5 states this clearly we're body, we're soul, and we're spirit now the sword of the word of god wants to give you the revelation of the difference in your soul and spirit he wants you to be walking through life with a great awareness of what's the difference in your spirit and your soul we all can see our body that's easy we look in a mirror we see the body we know the body's on the way to the grave. The body also contains the brain. And the brain houses, as it were, your mind, your soul. And, uh, and then the soul houses, as it were, the spirit. Watchman Nee called this the inner man, the outer man, and the outermost man. Uh, here's the scripture Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. Y'all see that? Joints and marrow, it judges thoughts and attitudes of your heart. So God's wanting us to get into the Word till we can finally see the difference in our soul and our spirit. Again, our body, we see it. The brain's what plays into this thought process. If your brain gets damaged, it might affect everything else in your life. You can be terribly depressed and the brain needs chemicals to get it up out of the hole. Or you can have all different kinds of problems. The brain is part of your body. And just like other organs in your body, it will need medicine from time to time and fixing. That's part of who we are. That is not going to get glorified un- until the resurrection. One day we're going to get a glorified body, brand new body. I can't wait for my new body. No more... Diabetes, no more heart disease, no more whatever we have all that 's going to be gone one day soon amen we 're getting a brand new body and our soul our souls our mind our will and our emotions and our spirit your spirit has already been joined to god 's spirit for the spirit joins himself with our spirit to affirm that we're god 's children Roman eight sixteen so our spirits been joined to God's Spirit. So when you look at the body, soul and spirit, this is a more accurate rendition. The fire in the middle, that's the Holy Spirit. Your spirit was dead. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ and got saved, he gave you a new birth. He brought your dead spirit and he regenerated it and now made it a live spirit. Now you've got God and the Holy Spirit co-mingling with your spirit to create this new man or this new identity. And uh, what's important for you to know, you could read Romans 8. There's more times the word spirit is used probably in that chapter than any other chapter in the New Testament. And you can't tell when God's talking about the Holy Spirit or your spirit. And God meant it that way. Because he doesn't want a differentiation to the Christian. Because the Christian houses the Holy Spirit in our spirit. It happened in us. According to Romans eight, you know, his spirit joined with our spirit. Go to Titus, you see about the new birth or the generation, John three, a born again. All in the New Testament talks about this new identity that we have that's in justified and in and righteous and holy and in good relationship with God. That's your spirit that is has that kind of union with God. Your soul is still a mess. Whether you want to admit that or not, it's a mess. And your so this chart says emotions, thoughts, and will. I would like to say emotions, mind, and will. But your mind produces your thoughts. So where's all that thinking coming from? Your soul. Where's all that emotion come from? When you don't feel victorious, when you feel lonely, when you feel sad, when you feel angry. Where's all this coming from? Your soul. And all your thinking, your bad thinking produces bad feelings. And in your soul there's a Will a trigger mechanism, as it were, that, that, that sets the whole being in motion. And you make thousands of choices all throughout the week. Sometimes we're not even aware of it, but we're choosing whatever we want to do instead of what God wants to do. Now, in 1918, a guy named Clarence Larkin put out a chart like this. This is going all over the church world. It's clever, but it's not biblical. Uh, He's got you having faith and hope and worship and prayer and reverence in your spirit as your channels in your spirit. Truth is, your soul's going to need some faith and hope and reverence and worship and prayer. Because the whole thing is getting your soul transformed where it's like your spirit. So this may be clever, but it's it's not accurate. Another writer came along and put it like that, and I think that, that one's even more inaccurate. Because see what you got here is not just one shaft through your whole being. You've got a will through your soul that's that's corrupt, that's carnal. But in your spirit, you don't have a choice there anymore. That is God's will in your spirit. There's another shaft through the center of your being that's the will of God. And if you can get your soul broken and out of the way, then the will of God comes out of your life and you unleash it like a river. A river of living waters can come out of you. So I want you to think of your soul. Yes, it's all your thinking, your mind, all your feelings, your emotion. But that will is the real kicker. That's the problem. That chooser, as it were. Your spirit can't get any more holy than it is right now. It's You've got God in you. The hope of glory in you. The Holy Ghost in you. you. If you can learn to have a broken soul where that spirit can rush out of you, you're going to start seeing people get saved. Brother William Walker sent me an email. He, had, he got to lead two people to the Lord this week in his travels. Amen. And and he prayed for a guy, and the guy's knee just miraculously changed right there while he's praying for him. What's happened with William's walking under the grace of God with a touch in his life, an anointing in his life, and he's allowing the Holy Spirit to flow out of him? That will happen in all of our lives once we get on board with what God's trying to show us. Now in this series, we're going to keep talking about these four, what I call critical foundational pillars. Identity. You've got to know who you are in Christ. you got to know whose you are, who you are. Image. We want a true image of God, and we understand He's wanting to change us into that image. So this is where all that formation comes from. As He's the potter, we're the clay, He's shaping us to His image. Then there's this indwelling. The Holy Spirit lives in us much more than what we're aware of. He's much more than a few goosebumps while we're singing in the worship service. It's the power of God, the power that created all of creation, the universe. The power of God is powerful enough to heal, powerful enough to deliver, powerful enough to change people's lives. And, and we have live our lives sometimes like, oh, it's no big deal, or maybe i got just a little bit of God in me. No, you've got enough of God in you. You just got to learn how to let him out. You got to learn how to let him flow out. So, and then intimacy. My, line, my thought here was the Christian life is a journey with Christ rather than a journey to Christ. And God is calling us to intimacy with Him, the highest possible calling. Intimacy with Him. So, uh, identity. Who are you in Christ? Image. What is He conforming you into? He wants you to be just like His Son. Indwelling. He's in you. He'll live His life through you if you learn to let Him do it. You don't even have to do this. It's not something you've got to do. All you've got to do is show up broken and allow God to flow out of you. And then intimacy. God is actually asking you and I, if we want, to come close to Him for the rest of our lives and be intimate with Him. So the dwelling of the Holy Spirit, a couple of scriptures for you. Ephesians 3.16, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Amen? Inner man, that's that innermost man, your spirit. Romans 7.22, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. 2 Corinthians 4.7, but we have this treasure... In earthen vessels. The earthen vessels are our body. Inside of us there's a treasure there. Something more powerful, more valuable, something priceless. The world's looking for something of great value. We have it in Christ Jesus. He is the pearl of great price. He's the treasure hid in the field. We have a treasure in earthen vessels. That the excellency of the power of God, of the power may be of God and not of us. Inward man renewed for 2 Corinthians 4.16, for which cause we faint not, but through though our outward man perish, talking about our body heading to the grave, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. My body might be getting older and weaker and sicker, but the more I stay in prayer and the more I stay in my Bible, my inward man is getting stronger and stronger and stronger. Not that you can improve upon God, but I'm learning how to allow Him to flow out of my life and affect my life. I want my spirit to govern my soul, not my soul governing my spirit. That's the difference. Holy Spirit lives in our inner man. The life of Christ can be reproduced in us only by the power of the Holy Spirit. As an inner work of God, it is achieved not by human effort, but by divine enabling Thus our true identity is not in our outer man, our soul, but in our inner man, in our born-again, regenerated inner man, or our spirit. That is where your identity is. 1 Corinthians 6, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? So we talked about last week, and I'm not going to belabor this, but you've got to first know who you are in Christ. If you try to deal with your sins and don't know who you are in christ and you will feel like a failure you will feel defeated you will feel condemned you will feel ashamed if you hear a sermon it's all about sin and you leave here feeling guilty and condemned you're not resting in who you are in christ once you know who you are in christ you can talk about this sin problem it won't put you in the pit are y'all following that you are not your old man he is dead he died with christ at the cross you're not. You need to get rid of that old man, new man image out of your brain. Put a big X through that chart. Also, that's not how it works. Forget about the false concept, old heart, new heart. You are who God's Word says you are in Christ. I gave y'all a handout last week. I hope y'all went home and studied those scriptures and meditated on that because that will change your life more than anything I can do for you. Amen. All right, our soul's got to be transformed. This verse in First Peter is outstanding. 1 Peter 1 9 in King James says, Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. New LT says it this way the reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. So your spirit's already saved, it's already regenerated, it's already born again. You've got a new identity, a new man, justified with God, made righteous in him. All that's done, finished work is done. But this soul thing, you, this still needs some salvation. This still needs some work. This still needs some transformation. And this is where Christians just kind of check out because they don't want to change. I don't want to change. I'm changed enough. I'm going to heaven when I die. I'm going to find a church where the preacher won't keep prodding me to change. I just don't want to give the judgment seat of Christ who realize we missed the whole thing. Because we resisted him changing us. Because we resisted him transforming us. I want to cooperate with the transforming process of my Savior. All right. In order for our souls to change, we've got to go through some suffering. I'm going to read you these scriptures just so it comes clear to you what he's saying. Romans eight. Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children then heirs, heirs of God, join heirs of Christ. If so be that we suffer with him. When we read the first part of that verse, it's one of our favorite verses in the Bible. We're heirs, we're children of God, we're sons and daughters. Join heirs with Christ. You "All right, well that's half of it. Now the other half here is, if so be that you suffer with him, that you may be glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Yeah, you know, we've got to go through some suffering because we've got to get our soul transformed. But it's going to be worth it in the end. At the very end, on that day, that day you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, you're going to be so glad that God put you through this transforming process. First Peter 5:10, after you suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore. Confirm, strengthen, and establish you. He's saying, look what I, I'm going to restore everything. All your waste places will be rebuilt. The, 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 the walls that have been destroyed by the enemy will be rebuilt. Your cities will be rebuilt. The waste places of your soul, I'm going to restore it all. I'm going to confirm you and strengthen you and establish you. After you suffer a little while. <laughs> Just need to suffer a little while. And this is what God's going to do for you. 1 Peter 4, beloved, think it not strange concerning a fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. It's not the end of the world, chicken little. It's not a strange thing. You're going through a little pain. Don't ever tell a new believer, hey man, you give your heart to Jesus, you'll never have another problem the rest of your life. That's the biggest lie in the world. And some people do that. Never, ever, ever, never, ever, 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 never tell them that. All right, because they'll they'll backslide when the things see, you gotta learn how much God loves you and how good God is to trust Him with enough through this process that you won't get mad at Him when He's trying to change you. All right, I gotta hurry. Romans five. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Amen. I don't know about you, but I think King James might say patience. Suffering produces patience, endurance. That means I'm going to patiently wait all the way through the valleys, all the way through everything. I'm just going to be patient and wait on God. Man, I don't know about you, but I need patience. This is the thing I'm lacking a lot in my life. I'm not patient at the drive through window. I'm not patient at the red light. I'm not patient at the Walmart checkout stand. I'm just, I need some more of that, all right? But God wants us to, to not only be patient in life with humans, but He wants us to be patient with Him. And suffering produces patience. Suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. So suffering breaks the outer shell. God uses suffering to break our souls. Our souls, must people, go back to your corn of wheat again. I mean, your kernel of corn. That hard shell has got to be broken in order for the life of that corn to ever grow. Uh, the release of the Spirit. I mentioned this a minute ago. Romans 8, look at the, when you go home, look at the, up the word Spirit. And you'll see that you, you can't tell when you're talking about God's Holy Spirit or your human spirit. Because God didn't want you to tell because these two things have been joined in the believer. I did a lesson one time here called spiritual fusion where I put the, the, the uh, table of elements up there and we talked about how fusion can take place when you commingle these two elements. And this is what happens with us. It's not just a little. you've got a little bit of God in the midst of all this flesh. No, your whole spirit was dead, now it's alive. You've been brought back from the dead. You, when you were born, you had a dead spirit. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden had a live spirit with light and glory shining out like, like a light bulb coming out of them. But when they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and disobeyed God, the light went out. Their spirit died. Death entered all men through them. So everybody has been born out of Adam and Eve were born with a dead spirit. And this is what's so great about the gospel. The gospel isn't just... Pretty good news. It's the greatest news you'll ever hear in your whole life, because God came to save you. Jesus came to this earth that he might save you and give you a new spirit, regenerated spirit, born again spirit, holy and righteous and true. Wow. So Romans eight sixteen, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we're God's children. God has to break our souls open in order for His Spirit to flow out. God trusted Paul and Job very, very much because they went through great suffering to get conformed. Rivers of living water, John seven thirty-eight. Whosoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Man, if we, I would just love it in the Spirit if everywhere I went there was a river of water. Every Christian I come in contact with that river would just encourage them and edify them and build them up. Every lost person I come in contact with, that river would evangelize them and let them know how much God loves them and and, and be calling and drawing them to the Savior. You know, it doesn't matter if you're around Christians or non-Christians, there's still a river inside of you that God wants to loose out of you and if you want a real ministry it will start right there around your friends around your family around those you work around this is the ministry we live in a we live in a community we're all around people are you going to allow jesus to flow out of you are you going to keep him shut in because you don't want your soul cracked open the alabaster box had to be broken Matthew 14, 3, Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany, the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy while he was eating. A woman came in with a beautiful alabaster box of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume on his head. I love that because, see, some people think the alabaster box is more precious than the oil. So they won't break it. See, our our soul is like the alabaster box. If we're willing to break it open then we can pour it on the head of our Savior and minister to Him. When you minister to people, you're, you're, you're doing it as unto the Lord. When, when you minister to the, the vulnerable and to the needy, you do it as, you're doing it to Jesus. You're, that's how you minister to Jesus. But you're out See, we think our bodies and our career and our image... And even our soul, our mind, our emotions, our strong personality. We think that's more valuable than the spirit within us. No, all that needs to be broken away. Broken away. That's why rich people, it's hard. Hardly shall a rich man enter the kingdom of God. Or even beautiful people, hard for them to enter the kingdom of God because they're so in love with the earthen vessel. They're so in love with their soul and their body and their own kingdom here. Beloved, none of that's going to matter the day you die. The day they put your body in the ground, you're going to have a heart's cry at that point for more Jesus. And then it's going to be too late. You're going to just deal with it, what you got at the judgment seat. So, God wants to break our soul because He wants to loose these rivers outside of us. Now our will in the middle it's gotta be broken. The will's a trigger in our soul that makes our choices. Our wills must be broken. God applies a pressure, it's our job to yield. Not my will, but thy will be done. That's my prayer all the time. And I don't know which way to go, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. I just start praying that Not my will, but thine be done. Not my will, but thine be done. Lord, I don't want to go. Where I want to go, I need just—I'm going to yield to you, and I'm going to go and I'm going to follow you. This yielding thing is a real key for where we're going as a church. I've been seeing this yield sign over and over in the spirit, and so I've been watching it. From, I'm looking for it on the road, and every time, every time, every time on the road, you get a yield sign. That means you got to slow down because if somebody's coming, you got to stop. And now they built these roundabouts all over the place. And we don't like those, all right? That's, that's a European idea. But I've learned the key to not getting killed at a roundabout is to understand yielding, all right? You just got to yield. You just can't go. You got to just sit there until everybody does their little wheel around, all right? Yield. You got to yield. If we can just learn to yield to God. If we can just learn to yield to God. He wants to flow out of you ministering to others. He wants to flow out of you Giving you direction in your life. He wants to continually be taught. You just got to learn to yield. The reason you don't is because you like bossing your own life. You're on the throne of your heart. You want to boss your own life. The Holy Spirit wants to be released to flow out of us. But look, God will not violate your will. So if you don't want to yield, he's going to let you just go right ahead. Go right ahead. Go go right. Even if you crash, he's going to let you go right ahead. I recommend yielding. Now, I want to talk to you real quick about the ten plagues of Egypt. I got Pharaoh, Pharaoh of Egypt's right over here. If you'd come out, Pharaoh. Come right here. Here we go. This is Pharaoh of Egypt. He was a bad dude, right? We had two and a half million Jews in slavery for 430 years under the Egyptian rule. And God raised up this guy called Moses to go rescue him. And get them out of there. So Moses comes up to Pharaoh and he says, Pharaoh, let my people go that they may come out to me in the wilderness and worship me. Worship the Lord thy God. Come on, Pharaoh, would you do that? Will you let, I just want you to release the two and a half million slaves. Would you do that? No. You need a microphone. Grab a microphone there. So Moses said, Pharaoh, I'm not messing around here. Uh, I'm going to pray, put my staff in the river Nile. Turn him on there, Don. He, he's got it. Now try it now. Hello. Hello. He's going to take his staff and the whole Nile is going to turn to blood, Pharaoh. I'm warning you, God just wants you to let the people go. Let, let his people go or the Nile is going to be turned to blood. No. <laughs> what do you really mean no? You know. What did I just tell you man? Are you out of your mind? So Moses prayed. The Nile turned to blood. There was no, that was the water source of all of Egypt. All the fish died. There was a great stench in the land for seven days the Bible said. Then Moses comes back to Pharaoh. Pharaoh, don't you understand that what just happened you didn't have to happen again. Let my people go that they may go and serve the Lord in the wilderness? No. (laughs) If you don't do it, I'm going to have frogs. I'm going to send frogs from everywhere. There's going to be frogs in your Cheerios. There's going to be frogs in your bed covers. There's going to be frogs in your bathtubs. There's going to be frogs everywhere. There's going to be millions and millions and millions of frogs. that's going to eat you up if you don't let the people go no (laughs) you hard-headed stubborn stiff neck all right we're gonna pray so he prays and god sends frogs the biggest never been that many frogs ever recorded in the history of the world anywhere at one time it was so bad when 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 they started cleaning them up they made big piles and they stink the whole land stank with dead frogs so moses comes back to pharaoh after going through all this and says pharaoh let my people go If you don't let them go, God's going to send a plague of lice. And lice is going to be all over everybody's body and in your hairs and in your ears and all over your cat and dogs and cows. Let them go, Pharaoh. No. Stubborn. See, that's a picture of your will. You've got that thing inside of you that just wants to do its own thing. And you can justify it and say... Oh, I know God's will for my life. I'm standing strong doing God's will. In fact, there's a song out there, I shall not be moved. I shall not be, I shall not be moved. I shall not be, I shall not be moved. Just like a, I don't know. You you know, most of the time you sing that, you're just like Pharaoh, just digging in, digging in, going to do your own thing. That's Pharaoh, I shall not be moved. So God sends lice. Man, I don't know about you, but I had lice one time. We, we had a little church in Mississippi. And there was, some visitors came in. They had lice. Everybody in church got lice. And we had to go fix it. We had to take our curtains down, all our sheets down. It was just... It, they were eat up with lice. Everybody in Egypt. All the cattle, all the people, just lice. They were just miserable. So you think now he's that miserable... Moses would go in and say, Pharaoh, I'll remove the lice, but let my people go. No. <laughs> so God says, Moses, pray, and I'm going to send flies. I'm going to send the nastiest millions and millions and billions of flies. Flies are going to be everywhere. So God did. God sends another plague. This is the fourth plague. He did. See, God will keep hitting you with pressure. Because he's trying to get you finally to break your will. Let my people go. Just let them go three days wilderness out, three days journey out in the wilderness so that they might worship the Lord God and make sacrifices to him. Three days? Yeah. No. <laughs> so the flies come. Flies like they've never seen before. And he comes back after the flies are gone. He says, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, it's going to get worse. I'm about to kill all your livestock. God's going to slay your livestock. All you have to do is let these slaves go. Come on, let them go. Let my people go, Pharaoh. Will you clean it up like the last time? No. So the animals die. So die. And this time it gets worse because God touches their body. See, now he comes with boils. And remember how Job had a great attitude to God touch his body? and he had a bad attitude. This gets worse. Pharaoh, you're about to get boils on you and your family, your servants, and all the people of Egypt. They're about to have boils on their body. Let my people go. No. (laughs) Hard head, strong, stubborn will, stiff neck. Maybe next time. You know how the Bible even, is, on a few of these plagues, said the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. You know, I can show you a scripture where it shows you the Lord made Isaiah heir from his way. Sometimes we're so self-righteous, we can't see ourselves. God has to make us do something really dumb. So we'll wake up and realize, wow, I do need help. And this this thing of the will... See, that's our blind spot. We just think we're choosing right. Yeah, I'm I'm a great Christian. I'm better than most of these people around here. I'm doing great. No, we don't see that. We got a little Pharaoh in there. I know when we went on a sabbatical, I told you all I felt like something was broken inside of me. And this is what led me down this path to study because I realized I was right. God's been breaking me, (laughs) breaking my soul. That the spirit of God might be able to release out of me, that I'll have a greater anointing and greater presence of the Lord wherever I go, because it's breaking. me. But that's not fun. Getting broken is not fun. And even though Pharaoh's a hardhead, this ain't fun for him. Do you realize what all they just experienced? They've had a rough month, all right had, And then the plague of hell comes. Let my people go, Pharaoh, once and for all. Come on, don't be so hard-headed. No. So they bring hail. Moses and Aaron pray, and God brings a hail storm like it's never been had. Destroyed all the big crops. Just, just took all their corn and beans and just, just wiped it all out. And Moses comes back into Pharaoh's presence and says, Pharaoh, you don't have to keep doing this, buddy. Come on, now. just let my people go and we'll leave you alone. No. No. So he sends locusts. And these locusts, what they did is eat all the other crops. And all the rest of the vegetation in Egypt now is gone. These locusts just, just ate it all. Just a gigantic swarm of locusts. So the cattle are dead. The hills destroyed the adult crop. Now the locusts have destroyed all the under-vegetation. The people have had frogs and lice and flies. And, you know, it's just been a miserable month. And all that's happened is God's trying to break Pharaoh's will... All these plagues are centered around that one man in the Bible because he, he has to give the permission to let these slaves go. And this is a picture of we have one little man inside our soul called our will. And, and God is after that guy because what he wants is us to throw our hands up and surrender and say, Lord, I yield myself to you. I surrender my heart to you. Not my will but thine be done. Not my way, but your way. Not, not my will at all, or even my thoughts. I want God's thoughts, God's will, God's way. I want everything to be lined up with Him. So God has to put a lot of pressure in my life to break my will. I don't know if y'all have had experience any of that or not. So the locusts come, and then Moses comes back to Pharaoh and says, Alright, it's going to get creepy now. I'm about to bring darkness on the face of the land." A darkness that can be felt. It was so thick you could feel it. And nobody could go out and do anything. I'm warning you, Pharaoh, if you don't let them go, this darkness is going to come on you. Let my people go. No. (laughs) So darkness comes on the land and scares everybody to death. And then finally... Moses comes back in Pharaoh's presence one more time and says, Pharaoh, this is going to be the plague of all plagues. If you don't let the people go, there's going to be death. The firstborn dead in every house in Egypt. And the Israelites, going to, if they put blood over their house, they won't die. They'll be spared. The Passover lamb's blood, which means the lamb would die instead of them. Because there's a death angel going to come over and kill all the firstborn." So he warns Pharaoh and Pharaoh still says, he says let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. no. So this night happened just as God said it would. And uh, when the screaming started in Pharaoh's own home and all the death of the firstborn, Pharaoh finally said, forgive me. I have sinned. Take your people out. So Moses marches with the people out of Egypt. Two and a half million people are set free. And this is the yield signs. This is what Pharaoh should, he finally yielded to what God's will was. It took ten horrendous plagues to get that hard-headed man to yield to what God wanted. It doesn't have to, we don't have to go through that much suffering. We, you know, when God applies a little bit of pressure, just learn to yield to Him. Yield to Him. You don't have to, he didn't have to grind us into the ground. He ground Pharaoh into the ground. And Pharaoh finally said, Yeah, let, just go. And that lasted probably a day or two. And then Pharaoh says, No, nah, I'm not letting him go. Let's get our chariots and we're we'll gonna go back and get them. So That's they start right. riding toward them and they catch them at the Red Sea. Right. And Pharaoh had every intention of going to get them and bring them back. Stubborn, self-willed, rebellious. Thank God for the Red Sea. God had the Israelites go through it. Pharaoh got in there. The sea closed on them, and they all drowned. Every Pharaoh chariot driver and the chariots themselves and the horses all drowned in the bottom of the sea. We have a will. And, Johnny, I appreciate you dressing up like Pharaoh, because that will give you a little image. Who is Pharaoh? Well, we all got one of those guys living in our soul, okay? And that's our little choosing mechanism. And when God's trying to break you, just yield. Yield yourself. Thank you, Johnny. Give him a hand clap if you would. A guy has to be pretty confident in his masculinity to dress up like that, right? So I think it's pretty... (laughs) I was kind of impressed that he did that. All right, I think I'm going to close. Surrender. A broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. God does the breaking. We need to yield or surrender our wills. Once broken and surrendered, the Holy Spirit can be released out of us to minister to others. God wants a fruitful tree. Remember our first verse? Yeah. If a corn of wheat fall on the ground and die, it abideth along. If it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He wants our fruitful tree. But that means you abide in Him, and he, His words abide in you. And uh, that produces the fruit. I will have another demonstration. I'll deal with it next week. Many of us try to produce our own fruit out of our souls. With our own personality, our own intellectual abilities. Like, I'm going to love somebody. So it's like hanging a fruit on a tree instead of letting the tree grow its own fruit. If you go to the grocery store and get various fruits and hang them on a tree, what's going to happen to them? They're going to rot and fall to the ground, right? So when you try out of your own soul to... I'm going to love this person. All right, I'm going to do something really good. I'm, I'm, and you do the deed, and then they don't say thank you, or they're not grateful at all. And you wind up getting mad at them, and now you loved them yesterday, and now you're just ticked off at them today. That's like trying to hang a fruit of love on the tree that you got at the grocery store. See, I, what we've got to learn is if we can ever see our soul and spirit the way God sees it, and we're aware of when it's us and when it's God... And when we no longer try to create our own fruit of the Spirit coming out of our soul, but we just allow the Spirit of God to flow out of us, then that, that true love that touches someone changes their life. It's the Spirit that quickens. It's not our, our natural words. It's the Holy Spirit that quickens or makes alive. So uh, we're going to dig deeper into this. And, and, but remember, Hebrew, thank you. He, Hebrews, do you all enjoy this teaching? Is all we good here? Amen.